It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm really looking forward to talking with my guest today. Joining me is David Hood, CEO of VanillaSoft, the industry's leading software for sales by phone. David Hood, welcome to Accelerate. Hello, Andy. Thanks very much. Oh, great to have you. So take a minute and introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So uh, VanillaSoft, uh, we've actually been in the inside sales space for over 10 years now. Leaders, and, pioneers. Uh, absolutely, because uh, you know, even in those 10 years, we've seen huge changes. So I actually started off in software sales uh, back in the early 90s. And uh, I remember, you know, being amazed by the systems that were available then, uh, Act and Maximizer. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I just thought it was fantastic. And Gold then, line. you know, but it, it was, you know, account management, the you know, inside sales back then was was really the person that was on the phone taking orders. They, they, that was about what it was limited to. They, they call up and say, you know, how many units do you want? The work was done by the salespeople. Um, and then, you know, come 2005, we were looking around and uh, one of our founders uh, had a boutique telemarketing center selling very high end uh, types of goods, you know, uh, concert tickets, uh, opera. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to find a technological solution that would work for them. And they realized that there really, you know, there were two choices at that point. You had either the real account management based software like the Act, the Maximizer, the starting of Salesforce and that. Or you had the real telemarketing, you know, the ones that you'd receive at home trying to sell you long distance, just those predictive dialers. And at that point, they realized that, that there was really a lack of, of something for true inside salespeople who were doing more than just taking orders, but who weren't doing true account management. And so we started, you know, that product started off in 2005. And since then, it's just amazing to see how inside sales has become so important to so many organizations. Yeah, I, mean, I think that what I find interesting, though, is that, that I mean, inside sales has, has really existed, at least the account executive part of it has really existed forever, right? I mean, unless you are a true door-to-door -door sales, and I, I certainly started my career doing door-to-door uh, -door sales, not selling computers, but I mean, my job was to, <laughs> I had a geographic territory, and I'd go to a business park and park my car and go make Sales calls, um, yeah, walking a business park, and but the days I wasn't doing that, I was I was inside, I was prospecting via phone. No, I mean, and it's absolutely true. I mean, if if you know if if we call anything being done over the phone, we kind of lump that into inside sales. We've been selling by phone for for ages and ages. But I think what we are seeing is is the difference between, I guess, probably two things. One is the volume. The, the old method in a lot of companies used to be, you know, named accounts, uh, limited number. You had a different way of getting, you know, leads in as well back then. Uh, you, you didn't have the Internet to be able to drive people in that you had not really identified in any way yet. So, mm -hmm. therefore, the first touch was... It was cool. a lot more than, you know, back in those days, you, you either had to call them up personally, you had to visit them, you met them at shows. So I, I guess it's a, you know, there's a couple of different things. One is with the different technologies now, I think that you're seeing a lot more end-to-end -end sales 
um, long distance. And long distance almost always involves the phone. So unless it's simply an internet order, any other sale that's done long distance without a visit is going to involve conversations. And so with all the different, you know, what really comes to mind are things like the web demo um, types of software. And as people got used to purchasing items without necessarily meeting somebody, I think this just opened up a lot of opportunity for companies to not only be selling, you know, products that were only $20 a month or $100 total without ever having a personal encounter. You know, we're now seeing people selling products that are $60,000, $100,000 where there may never actually be a, a personal meeting. And you just would not have heard of that. Um, you know, even back in 2005, that was very rare. Whereas now, you know, I, I go out and I visit uh, firms that we're working with, and, and I can't believe the products and the services that they're actually selling end-to-end -end, uh, using the phone and, you know, other communications like email, SMS, uh, web demos, and, and such. Yeah, I think that, that given the sort of way technology has enabled more subscription-based services being sold, that, as you said, in your software days, that used to be, hey, you know, Here's a corporate license. You got X number of seats, and it's you know lump lump sum. You know, evolved over time to this monthly subscription service. Is yeah, I think the perceived risk on the part of the buyers, the buyer's perception of the risk, uh, helps contribute to that, right? I mean, so you know their ability to discontinue using something that uh, before they may have made this huge investment, so I felt they were really compelled to use it, even if it wasn't perfect for some period of time. Now there's less of that incentive, so. I think that facilitates a lot of the sales. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, in sales, we, we know it's all about risk and about fear to a certain extent, right? Everyone's always worried about whether they're making the right decision. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the sales process is simply making people comfortable that, you know, one, either they're not making the wrong decision or that, two, even if they are making the wrong decision potentially, that there's not a tremendous amount of risk to it. And you're right, new technologies have, uh, you know, new pricing models. Have allowed us to help address part of that. But I also just think people are getting much more comfortable with the idea that they don't need a handshake. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it's a, a, a generational thing, but I also think it's a technological evolution. And it's, that's just going to keep driving forward. So as it does, I think that we're going to see inside sales continue to grow and grow into areas where even right now we might be thinking, you know, no one would ever be able to, to do this over the phone. I wouldn't be surprised if in five or 10 years, we have even additional products and services where the personal encounter just isn't required anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, even IBM, I know on their inside sales group, their inside salespeople sell the full line of products. And some of those are really expensive hardware products, not just uh, services. No, absolutely. I think companies are establishing, uh, to a certain extent, companies are establishing their reputation and their presence now more virtually than the than physically. Whereas it used to be that you know you had the big offices, you had people visiting. That's how you became comfortable with the company. Now people become comfortable with companies through their digital presence, um, be it through social media, through their websites, and that. So I think to a certain extent that reputation building which before relied a little bit more on I actually know somebody and I've actually met somebody from that company. Now a lot of that can be built up virtually. But you brought up a key point, though, which is you talk about it's almost always involves a conversation and almost always on the phone. So there still is this human-to-human -human element that, that I don't see going away. In fact, I see it maybe becoming even more important when it is done remotely because you take away that sort of 
interpersonal connection that happens once you meet someone face to face is it puts a bigger premium on establishing that connection, that no like trust equation. As I talk about it uh, remotely, that's that's a difficult challenge. Yeah, I agree, and I think people still want to know that there are, there are real people behind a company. So uh, I mean. There are more and more sales that are simply going through websites and such. But I think once you start getting into some of these products that require a little more work or a little more complex, um, you may not need to have a personal meeting. But people do want to feel that there's there's real people behind that company ready to support them that they can engage with. And I think that's where the phone obviously comes in. And I think I see inside sales, as I mentioned, continue to grow. I think that the conversational part of it, we we talk an awful lot about email marketing. We talk a lot about, you know, SMS, all those different types of things. Um, and, and sales reps, as we're seeing, are spending a lot of their time managing these complex processes that involve a lot of things. But at the end of the day, it's quality conversations that allow people to discover needs, allow people to discover whether or not your product may fit their needs. And it's quality conversations that end up leading to success in sales. And so that phone aspect of it for us is always going to be incredibly important. And I agree. I, I think it's just going to grow in importance. Yeah, interesting. Your thoughts made me sort of think about something I hadn't thought about in a while, which was that I can foresee a day when the in-person meeting becomes that key differentiator. You know, that, that it starts coming back into importance when used very selectively in very timely fashion. Uh, that that it really starts becoming because again, it's it's you know how do you if everybody sort of looks alike, right? If, if if it's hard for the vendor to really differentiate between offerings because you know everybody sort of feels the somewhat the same. There's a little bit more here, a little less there, but in balance, everybody sort of looks the same. How do you differentiate yourself? Maybe at some point that that in person meeting starts becoming important again. Well, I guess there's no question that anything that's rare has more value, right? And so if uh, in-person meetings start becoming more rare, they'll start gaining in value. And so I, I don't disagree. I think that uh, it, it may end up becoming something. If, if everyone's no longer doing it, then it does become a distinguishing factor. But I think before that meeting takes place, people are expecting that they're much farther advanced in the yes. process than they may have been before. That might have been an introductory meeting. This now is often you're moving in on a closing meeting by the time you're into that face-to-face -face meeting. And so, and I think where inside sales is stepping in, and, and in a lot of processes, it's not end-to-end -end inside sales, but inside sales has been able to occupy 50, 60, 80% of that pre-meeting time and take that away from the account, you know, the traditional account manager and handle that through an inside sales group and then have that account manager actually only step in much farther on into the process. And I, so yeah, I, I agree. And I think that we're even seeing that in certain inside sales processes where it's not that inside sales has taken over everything, but they've taken over a good chunk of what could be done remotely and therefore is more scalable, easier to control and leave that last part, really distinguish where is the true value of a face-to-face -face meeting and make sure that that's the only thing being addressed by that face-to-face. -face. Yeah, it's interesting to think about because... Because I agree, hundred percent. I mean, this is this is what's happening. It's it's the right thing that should be happening, given the tools we have at our disposal, given the way that people want to buy, the time crunch they're under. Um, but I've had this conversation with other other sales leaders. Is that yeah? If you think about, it, you're going to insert somebody into a sales situation really sort of the first time. 
you know, if you've been having your inside sales sort of manage the account, and, and as you said, rightly so, it's sort of flipped itself, right? Because before, certainly when I was, was starting selling eons ago, the in-person meeting was really the first meeting. And then the rest of the sales process sort of happened mostly remotely, except maybe going to pick up the order. Uh, and maybe you had a demonstration or something. But but now it's we're saying it's, yeah, we start remotely and maybe narrow down to a point where you do some in-person at some point. But then you're inserting a new person into the equation. Or we're going to see a different model. Yeah. And, and we're going to start maybe seeing a blended model where you're... Whereas the old account manager was expected to be on the road a lot and you know, it would be great if they did some prospecting. Now you have people doing a lot of prospecting and maybe they'll actually be able to step in and handle the, uh, you know, actually doing the occasional travel. And, and part of that will depend on how much uh, is required. The other problem, though, is that it often is two different skill sets. Um, working over the phone, uh, establishing confidence over the phone can be a very different thing than establishing rapport and confidence in person. And we'll often find, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, that it's hard to find necessarily a person that has both skill sets, mm-hmm. that's as equally skilled at establishing rapport on the phone as they are establishing it in person. And so it, it does make it a little difficult to, you know, regardless of whether you're more on the account side or more on the inside sales side, it can be difficult to combine that into one person. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, sales productivity because you and I had had a conversation about this uh, once before. And sort of the basis was, question is, do we really understand what sales productivity means? Because in my mind, we tend to conflate performance and productivity. And to me, productivity in an economic sense has a very specific meaning. Right, It's sort of a, a unit of output for that's produced by... Uh, the investment of a certain unit of input. Um, you know, we talk about uh, productivity in economic sense. You know, how many dollars of of manufactured goods produced per hour of labor, for instance. And isn't it valid to really look at sales productivity the same way? I mean, it's it's an interesting question, and uh, you, you'd actually uh, we, we ran into each other at a show, and you 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 know we had a quick discussion around productivity and and activity. So let, let's kind of break it into two things. So performance, let's call that activity, right? And then let's call, you know, as you say, the traditional definition of performance is not just looking at activity, but it's also looking at the finished good and saying how much activity did it take to achieve the finished good. So in manufacturing, and and as I think about it, you know, it's a really interesting concept because it's true. Um, Your best salespeople are, are more productive, not just necessarily because they have more activity, but your best salespeople tend to be the ones, for example, that are able to come to a close more quickly. And so that obviously the productivity comes from not just the activity in there, but how long it takes to, to get there. Where I, I, I struggle, I guess, with the idea of, of productivity in that sense on sales is as opposed to a manufacturing process where you pretty much know all the steps. And if you complete these steps, you'll have a finished good. So if you can increase the speed of those finished steps, of those steps that are required to arrive at the finished good, and reduce that, you know you're still going to get to that finished good and your productivity increases. I, I do admit as I think about sales, there's, because there's so much human side involved to it and things that are beyond people's control, I wonder whether you have the, the same levers that you do in a more traditional productivity sense to really affect that. And so that's where I start wondering whether activity 
maybe is even more important on the sales side as one of the, one of the actual levers you can control. So I think to increase productivity, there's, you can do two things. You can spend less time to get to the finished good, or you can get to, well, I guess that's the time you get to the finished good more quickly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, I'd love to have your opinion on that, actually, uh, Andy, in terms of given that within sales, you know, it's not just what you're doing that's going to lead to a finished good. You're interacting and you're relying on decisions and a whole process on the other side. So, in other words, in, in any buying process or selling process, in any selling process, there is a buying process. Absolutely. The parallel, each parallel one of processes. Those, exactly. And each one of those has its own productivity. So, you can have a high selling productivity process, but if the buying parallel process is, uh, is not productive, that, that to a certain that feeds back into your selling productivity. So how do you you know how do you see that working out? Well, I think that one you brought up a key point, which is that one of the things that you're you have to do as a salesperson is be mindful of the fact that the actions you take affect the buying productivity of the buyer of the customer, and that that's one of the things they're using to measure you as a potential vendor. You know, are you making good use of the time that they invest in you? And you know, if you're careless with that, that time, if you're not providing value, if you're not making sure that each and every time you interact with them, you're doing something to help them move to the next step or move at least one step closer, regardless of how many steps are, to making a decision, then you're having an impact on their productivity, and that's going to affect yours. Right. And, and I think from there, well, when we talked about how better salespeople are more productive, that, that's definitely part of it. They, they go through that process better and they help the buyer go through the process better. Well, I think and I they, guess that's, they have an awareness of time. And I think that's, it's, you know, some people, yeah, in other sports or other endeavors like sports, <laughs> some people might call it like a spatial awareness and so on. But, but they have this awareness, this constant awareness of time. And I think to me, that's really the key. For me, the great performers, and it's it's not necessarily uh, conscious on their part at all because I mean, they've they've embodied these habits and productivity habits for a long time. But but they're very conscious of of the time that they're spending, uh, both to accomplish a task as well as the time that's required to on the buyer side. That you know what are they getting the value for the time they invest in them as salespeople? So that to me is really the bottom line. Is our do you have this sort of basic awareness of time? Because at the end of the day, when you look at productivity, you say, look, a sales rep has a certain number of hours in a day. We know that for, you know, we've got a limited number of hours. But if you as a manager, you look at your total inventory of hours you have, you had a certain level of productivity in terms of number of hours invested to get a deal from point A to point B, you know, from interest to decision. You can calculate what your theoretical maximum productivity is, performance level is for the entire organization pretty quickly. So how, what's, what's the leverage that you manipulate to try to increase the total potential productivity of the group? Right, I agree. And, and those levers, as we look at them, you know, you've got a limited number. And I think one of the you know, training in sales is, is obviously a huge thing. So I think a lot of that training is, is referring back to what you're talking about, is how do you manage the buying process more than the selling process is if we want to go back to kind of the game analogy, and, and I'm a huge tennis fan, um, you're conscious of time and making sure you're not wasting the other person's time, but you're also conscious of what you do and what kind of reaction that can provoke on the other end. Exactly. And so you're constantly, it, it's a bit of a game in that you're trying to make sure that you make a move and that you do something that's going to 
uh, elicit the type of response that you're looking for on the other end. And so I think the best salespeople, as you say, absolutely the best salespeople don't waste the buyer's time. But in addition, the best salespeople are able to look that one move ahead and they're able to make that shot that they know is going to maneuver everything into where the process is now moving forward, you know, smoothly, whether where they're gaining an advantage. And so I, 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 well, think, I think that it, there's in a place to in your on your website, Vinal Soft website, you have a report from uh, the Telfer School of Management, uh, I guess University of Ottawa uh, Business School, and you talk about this adaptability and sales, adaptive selling. Exactly, and yes. and this really becomes a critical point in looking at how salespeople become more productive. Is that one of the key failures I see is that. You know, we're so focused on having a process that too many salespeople sort of march down a path following the process. And what they don't see is that the act, and this is not to get too theoretical for people listening, but it's a key point, is the act of selling to a prospect changes them. And so you can't really follow this process because as you educate them, for instance, their awareness of their needs or their options, how it relates to the objectives and goals they're trying to achieve, necessarily changes. So you may think, gosh, we, we get this process, we head down a straight, a straight line with them. But no, they've, they've become smarter. They've decided, yeah, there's more we could accomplish with this technology we're looking at investing in, let's say. And they're suddenly down a different path. And if they're not adaptable, then they're going to miss that opportunity. They're going to have to spend more time helping the customer get to a decision. Exactly. And, you know, at VanillaSoft, we're, we strongly believe in how technology can help through automating certain tasks. But we spend a lot of time speaking to people about what do they need to be looking at automating. So the idea here is not to automate salespeople. The idea is to look at the different tasks that a salesperson is doing and saying, which ones of those, which of those tasks lend themselves well to automation? Which should they not be wasting time on in order to free more time up for them to spend on the other tasks, which is what you're just referring to right now. So how do you use technology to do two things? One is free up more time so that people can concentrate on the, the salespeople can concentrate on the important part of their job and what makes them unique, mm -hmm. which is the actual selling, the adaptive selling. Right. But technology also feeds into that as well. So in other words, how well does your technology not do just in freeing up time, but in presenting and giving people the information they need to go through that adaptive selling process? Because the information they're getting and then the information they're gathering during that process is going to feed into this adaptive selling. And you know, as you pointed out, it was one of the things that was actually looked at in a study that uh, we sponsored at the uh, Telfer School of Management to, to really look at how can technology feed into the success of inside sales teams and does it matter what technology i mean can it just be any technology or is inside sales different well i want you to talk about the conclusions that you found in that study uh, i mean it, it was fascinating for us i mean we obviously always believe that inside sales is different we don't we you know we feel that it's a distinct type of selling that obviously it borrows a lot and you know there's a lot of uh, overlap between but that there are certain things that are unique. And just like a, a fireman and a farmer need different tools, we felt that inside salespeople and more account management-based salespeople need different tools. 
And so what this study did was set out to do a couple of things, but one main one was to not just look at does using sales technology help um, inside sales groups, but also does the type of technology that they're using make a difference? And the study contrasted two different, really fundamentally different approaches to sales technology. One is the list-based approach. And this is the approach that, you know, quite honestly evolved from paper where I had a list, uh, the old Rolodex, uh, Mm -hmm. for those of us that are old enough to actually remember having one on our desk. That went into, that became Act, Maximizer, all of these desktop CRMs where everything, it was a list, it was much better, the data was all together, but it was a list, and then onto Salesforce where that went onto the cloud. But all of these were list-based. So basically, I, I go into my application, I've got a list of people, I choose somebody, I do something, and I go back to a list. So there's that approach, and they contrasted that with a queue-based approach, where instead of working off a list, people are working off of queues. So there's predefined management logic, which is applied so that when I, as a salesperson, go into my application, as opposed to being presented a list, I'm actually presented a lead or a contact to follow up on. And once I'm finished doing something with that contact, as opposed to going back to a list again to then choose again, I'm now presented with the next one. And this is constantly in real time being restacked, reordered, based on the caller feedback, based on the predefined admin logic. And so the study, you know, wanted to look and, and see what difference does this make. And it really looked at four different things, was adaptive selling, uh, competency. So how does the approach feed into competency? The uh, effect on lead follow-up, as I think as we all know, uh, uh, lead follow-up has become probably one of the most important things in sales now where it used to be that you know you needed an average of two follow-ups to close a sale they're now talking about seven to eight follow-ups mm-hmm. and so if you fall below that you can be putting in still a tremendous amount of effort and spending a tremendous amount of money you're not going to get the results and then the fourth thing they looked at was kind of that good old call productivity or let's call it call activity after our discussion of are people actually making calls? So the study wanted to look at the, how, the four of these things and how did the technology affect it. And? The and. Um, so uh, very interesting. So it found that basically regardless of the type of technology used, they saw a positive correlation uh, in terms of the adaptive selling and competency. Uh, both of those uh, increased. So the ability to use adaptive selling increased with the use of technology, which I don't think is a surprise to anybody because part of adaptive selling is the ability to use information you have and to gather information, retain it, and use it. So technology increased both of those. Um, What was probably even more interesting for us was when they started looking at some of the activity-based things like effort on lead follow-up and call productivity, um, they, they saw a significant difference between what type of technology you're using. So to maybe just throw out a couple of figures, um, when they looked at call activity or the number of calls, they saw that on list-based systems, there was an average of eight calls per hour. And they contrasted that on the queue-based systems with an average of 24. And so, just, just to be clear, is VanillaSoft is a queue-based system. VanillaSoft is one of the queue-based systems, right. absolutely. Um, now, in terms of persistency, in other words, it's, it's one thing calling somebody 
but now you need to call them back. You need to follow up. They found that there was a median contact attempt of one and a, an average of 2.2 when it came to list-based systems. And that compared to, with the Q-based systems, an, a median of eight and an average of nine follow-up attempts. So in other words, the Q-based systems were much more effective in driving salespeople to do follow-ups. Well, partially because they were, as opposed to depending on the intelligence of the salesperson, to develop the list of who they should be calling and prioritizing it, you had the intelligence of a Q-based system applying the rules and the analytics to be able to say, okay, this is who you should be talking to now. Exactly. And this is, you know, I was talking earlier about being able to identify which areas would benefit from automation and which don't. Well, cadence automation. When does somebody need to be contacted and when do they need contacted again? Cadence automation is a place where it, automation has a huge role to play. Um, having salespeople wasting hours on looking at their list and trying to figure out who is it I needed to call back, when should I be doing this, it is a huge waste of time. And I'll be honest, maybe the most interesting thing I found, because we talked about you know productivity versus activity, they tried to establish a direct link between call productivity or call activity, the number of calls, and positive results. What was interesting is they were not able to establish a direct link or a direct causation between call productivity and more sales. What they did find, however, was a, a huge link between follow-up and sales which doesn't surprise any of us. Or persistence, we might call it in this case. Let's call it persistence and sales. And then they found a very you know, direct link between call productivity and persistence. So in other words, the ability to make more calls, in addition to just the logic that we talked about of knowing who to call, the ability to actually make more calls also increases your persistency because you're able to follow up better. And but making so, more calls on the people that, that have been surfaced initially as leads to... Exactly. Right. So I guess what this, if you, if you kind of dig into that and say, how is that possible? What this kind of really means is if, you know, it doesn't matter if you're making eight calls an hour or 24 calls an hour, if you're only calling everybody once. If I just take a huge right. list exactly. and just never call back, call productivity is not going to have a large impact on your results. Where it has a large impact is on your persistency. And so it, 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 I think it talks to the fact that the sales arena has changed. You know, back in the late 90s, people loaded in lists of 3 million contacts and they didn't care if they reached one, they always had somebody else that they could call back, so they, or that they could call. So they just, they went, the idea was how do you burn through mm -hmm. leads? Leads are harder to come by now. Leads are more expensive, leads require more follow-up. And so this survey actually kind of came and reinforced this idea that the sales environment has changed. Quality now, follow-up, is much more important than it may have been even, you know, 15 years ago. So it, it, that, that actually was the finding that they weren't looking for. It came out as a secondary finding that was fascinating. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> we're going to have to have you back. We're going to talk about, talk about that just right there because, yeah, this whole quality versus quantity quantity dynamic is is i think really a key issue that needs to be explored more because certainly we see in the SaaS environment uh, as one example is too many companies not all of them but too many companies focus purely on the the quantity and not really getting the the quality aspect of it and it, as you said is is that persistence with people that are uh, 
measured to be a good lead really is the biggest indicator of ultimate sales success with that prospect. Exactly. Now, if I can take a second to throw out one last statistic that came out of this study that also sure. was, was really great. Um, you've heard of you know speed to lead. Right. Uh, it, it's a big thing nowadays, especially when it comes to internet-driven leads. People mm-hmm. that are contacting you, reaching out after they've already gone through that 40% of the sales process, getting to them quickly is important. In list-based systems, they found that the median first call response was a little over three hours. Mm-hmm. The average, though, was 60 hours. Right. In a queue-based system, the average and median response times fell between 31 and 60 minutes, with 30% being responded to within five minutes versus 5% being responded to in five minutes within five minutes in a list-based system. Right. So again, this speaks to automation because what's and to me, well, obviously it's interesting that you're getting back to people in 30 minutes uh, average as opposed to uh, you know the three hours and 60 hours, but it's that very low spread between the average and median response times. You're only talking a 30-minute spread between average and median on a queue-based system, whereas you're talking days on a list-based system. What that's really showing is that the companies that are very well organized are still doing better. They're still getting back to the leads more quickly, but an automated, more automated type of system, the queue-based systems are really ensuring that that spread is not great by the logic, by the system itself, assuming a good part of that, even the, you know, the sales teams that aren't as good are responding only 30 minutes later. They're not responding two days later or, you know, as quite often happens, not responding at all. So it's a great finding to show again, where choosing where to automate, choosing where to rely on the technology can make a big difference. So you're getting back to those leads faster and allowing your people to get into a quality conversation at a moment where the sale is still more likely to be made. So again, really fascinating for us. Yeah, no, I'm, if for everybody that's read my book, Zero Time Selling, knows that's the premise of that book is responsiveness, which is a factor that you as an individual rep controls completely, is, yeah, is the lead really for me is the key factor in winning the sale. In that environment. So, yeah, very cool. Okay, so heading into the last segment of my show here, I pose some standard questions I've asked all my guests. Uh, first one is a hypothetical scenario. And in this scenario, you, David Hood, have just been hired as a new sales VP at a company whose sales have stalled out. And they're anxious to get things unstuck. So, yeah, obviously, you got to start a sales turnaround somewhere. What, what two things could you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest immediate impact? Uh, the first two weeks. Wow. Um, For no, so, first, do you get two things the first week. Uh, two things the first week. So, I mean, the, 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 honestly, I've always believed that the first thing you need to do is to make sure you actually understand what's going on. And yes. uh, so I'm not a big person for walking in and feeling that what I did in the previous company is necessarily going to work here and being prescriptive about that. So I think the first thing to do is to try and get a better handle on what the sales issue is. Is it, is it really a sales issue? Or is it a marketing issue? Mm-hmm. So in other words, are you having trouble closing uh, the leads that you have to work? And is there a problem in that sales process? Or are you simply not generating enough activity, enough leads to work on? And so, you know, I'll be honest, I think that my first concentration would be to understand where is the issue coming from. All right. Perfect. Um, all right. So here's some more rapid fire questions for you is... 
First one is when you, David Hood, are out selling your service, your your product, VanillaSoft. What's your most powerful sales attribute? Uh, our most powerful sales attribute is uh, no, you personally. Uh, me personally, uh, it is uh, being able to listen to people and understand what their true problem is. Okay, who's your sales role model? My sales role model would uh, date back to my very first sales job at uh, Corel Corporation was, uh, was my boss there uh, by the name of uh, Jim, and uh, I've always followed uh, in his footsteps. Okay. One book every salesperson should read. I, I think it has to be yours. <laughs> we'll go with that. We'll have you back on the show. You get you got <laughs> the bonus. That rings the bell. Um, I appreciate that. So last question for you is... What music's on your playlist these days? A hard question for me, I'll be honest. I do not listen to a lot of music. Oh, okay. All right. Do you listen to podcasts? I do listen to some podcasts. Okay. So any podcast in particular other than this one, which I'm sure you're a fervent <laughs> fan of. I, I, I cannot say I have a favorite. No. All right. Well, good. We'll let you off the hook with that. That's good. Well, so, David, thanks. It was a great talk today. And we'll definitely have you back and continue the conversation. So how can people find out more about Vanilla Soft? So feel free to either reach out to me on LinkedIn at David Hood or uh, VanillaSoft.com and uh, we'd be happy to uh, you know, engage with you and, and see whether automation might be able to play a role in your sales process. Excellent. Well, good. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you so much. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And an easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate part of your daily routine, whether you're listening in your commute, in the gym, or as part of your morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, David Hood, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your sales. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.